Welcome to episode 97 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, we think you're going to love today's episode. After we recorded it, Jen may or may not have said it was her favorite episode we have recorded yet. But before we jump in, we're very excited to announce that this podcast is once again supported by Australia's Bear Moondi. So as you all know, I'm a huge fan of healthy, sustainable seafood consumption, which has been shown to have a wide variety of health benefits. But unfortunately, it can be a little intimidating to find a fish that's good for you, environmentally friendly, and super important to me personally, free of mercury and environmental toxins. Well, there is one brand I found which actually fits all of my fish criteria. It's got fantastic omega-3 levels, it's tested to be free of mercury and other toxins, and it's absolutely delicious. It's Australia's Bermundi. They raise their fish responsibly, paying the utmost care to animal health, employee safety, and environmental sustainability. So they actually harvest and flash freeze their fish at peak freshness, which means the quality is much better than what you'd normally find sitting out at the fish counter. It's easy to cook, and for all you moms, even the kids, they love the mild and buttery taste. You can find Australia Spearmundi in the freezer section of many fine grocery stores, including Whole Foods, and they're available as all-natural fillets, which are paleo-friendly and completely free of additives, and then they've also got a lemon herb butter and a recently released garlic teriyaki as well. And just for our listeners... Australia's is providing an in-store coupon to save a dollar off. So to get that coupon, just visit better.fish slash ifpodcast, and you can download it there. And I'll put all of this information in the show notes. So definitely get that free coupon. And then we're also supported by Buy Optimizers. They make a really wonderful line of supplements to support your digestive health from beginning to end. They've got digestive enzymes that you can take during the fast or with your food to help break down your food. They've got HCL to support stomach acid production. They've got a superstar amazing probiotic called P3OM. They've got a supplement to actually help you break down gluten called Gluten Guardian and so much more. And if you go to buyoptimizers.com slash ifpodcast and use the code ifpodcast, you can get 20% off of those supplements. So yep, tons of awesome free things. Definitely check out Australia's Bear Mundi and Buy Optimizers. And now enjoy this very special episode of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 97 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. 
I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And I am not just here with Jen Stevens. We have a wonderful guest on today to talk about a topic that I think our listeners are going to be so (laughs) excited about. We get so many questions about this topic, a few different topics, but this whole issue. So we are very, very excited to have Dr. Anna Kabeca on the podcast. She's the author of the upcoming book, which actually is being released tomorrow. Super exciting. It is called The Hormone Fix, Burn Fat Naturally, Boost Energy, Sleep Better, and Stop Hot Flashes the Keto Green Way. So just hearing that title, you can hear a lot of topics that our listeners are definitely going to adore hearing more information about. And a little bit about Dr. Anna. So she is a triple board certified physician and she trained at Emory and she is a hormone expert. Rather than me just tell everybody your bio, Dr. Kabeca, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your personal history and why you became so interested in hormones and your doctoring and your book and just what brought you to where you are today? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm just really blessed, feeling truly blessed to be here with both you ladies and just hearing about your journey, reading about your stories too, and and your accomplishments. I am thrilled. So I have had a tumultuous journey myself with hormones, but I became a women's health advocate really early on in my life because my mom struggled with heart disease. And when we see someone we love struggle, we need, you know, like we are just driven to find an answer, do anything we can to help them. And so that's been my journey. So when I was 16, it was early on starting looking at heart disease in women and recognizing that all the recommendations were based on studies in men. And so I quickly became an advocate for women's health, women's research, and that led me into practicing gynecology and obstetrics. And so that was the first steps. And then realizing, recognizing too, that we have to look at the underlying issues. Because as I saw in my practice, I came to Southeast Georgia through, I was a National Health Service Corps scholar. So I had scholarship through my medical school. And so it came to this underserved rural area in Georgia that's known for its shrimping communities and paper mills, honestly. And I started practice here, the only bilingual obstetrician in the area. And I had to get really creative to help women naturally as much as possible. So because we couldn't afford expensive surgeries or prescription medications, but then What happened to me was at age 38, I was diagnosed as completely and irreversibly infertile with early menopause and premature ovarian failure. And I was told I would never be able to have another child. So there I was, Jen and Melanie, you guys can imagine, here I am, this hormone expert, Emory University trained gynecologist and obstetrician, completely menopausal at 38. Like, wait, I'm the hormone expert. Why can't I fix this? And so that was just, you know, floored me. It's really ironic when that happens, when you're so invested in a field and then you have an issue in that field. Like for me, I've been struggling with 
heavy metal toxicity and things like that, which are all health related. And it can, it can seem so ironic because we're, you know, we're in this health sphere and you feel almost like a fraud in a way. But I think the, the beautiful thing is it really makes you really personally invested in, you know, researching the issue even more and finding the root cause and, you know, really growing from that and helping others. So obviously with your book and with everything that you're doing, Dr. Anna, it looks like good things came from it. And I know that from reading your book, which is absolutely fantastic, by the way, that you did really work through everything. So there's so much that we could jump in with. Do you want to start first with your what you found out in yourself and where you came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was hit with that diagnosis, it really, that was something that had been devastating. So that led me on this journey just to figure out what's the you know, what's the answer? Why did this happen? And how can I just move on from this, right? For personal reasons, for my family, and for my patients. And so, you know, that took me on a journey and I was able to reverse menopause and conceive a beautiful, healthy girl at age 41. I told you ladies ahead of time that I am now almost 53 with a 10-year-old, soon to be 11. So, oh my gosh. So it's really important to keep my sanity and my hormones in check. And, and so from age 38 to really nearly a decade, I was able to keep, you know, I had kept off 80 pounds. I'd always struggled with weight my entire life. So that was always a challenge. But then in, in, in healing my body and figuring out how to balance my hormones naturally through really food as medicine, I was able to lose 80 pounds and kept them off for a decade. And then I experienced what probably so many of your listeners have experienced, but patients would come in and tell me all the time. They say, Dr. Anna, I'm gaining 5, 10, 20 pounds and I'm not doing anything different. And I'd be like, really? Right? Like, until it happened to me. <laughs> and really, and, and it was 5, 10, 20 pounds. I was 48 and I was scared because I knew that I would just keep ballooning if I didn't stop this. And that's where I really dug in into the research, into ketosis, and came up with the twist I put on it, my keto green way that I talk about in the book, to balance hormones, keep the extra fat off, and just improve mental health, quality of life, not just so that we look good, but also so that we feel good. Yeah, I think that's so important. I also lost 80 pounds, by the way. So congratulations. <laughs> it feels fabulous, doesn't it? I've been in maintenance since 2015. I think it's so interesting that the weight gain started for you at the age of 48. I'm 49 now, almost 50. So I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like the intermittent fasting lifestyle is going to keep me from experiencing that weight gain that is considered to be so inevitable. You know, we we hear it. Oh, it's just you're gonna. It's gonna happen, but it's not inevitable, is it? It's not inevitable, and it can be. You know, we can interfere with that cycle, and I think that you know concepts of doing it right and making sure you're getting the right nutrients and keeping insulin sensitive. That's one of the things I really talk about in my book because getting into ketosis makes us more insulin sensitive. And one of the reasons we have such a difficult time in menopause, especially with hot flashes, night sweats, is insulin resistance. So I think that is the right way to go. Yeah, we do get so many questions from listeners and there does seem to be this whole fear out there, especially with intermittent fasting, that it's actually detrimental for women and hormones, which is one of the reasons we get so many questions on this topic. But 
from reading your book and from speaking with you now, it sounds like you're definitely a proponent of using fasting for regulating insulin and actually healing and helping hormones. Do you want to talk about that relationship? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things like when I as a gynecologist and obstetrician, I would love to say that, you know what, it's all about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone and DHEA. But truthfully, it's not They're minor hormones compared to our major hormones, which are insulin, cortisol and oxytocin, oxytocin being the hormone of love, bonding and connection. So cortisol and insulin can drive our hormones into havoc, for sure. And by intermittent fasting, we improve that insulin sensitivity, that insulin relationship in our body because insulin will drive progesterone wacky. It will drive cortisol up. It will drive estrogen and testosterone down and sometimes increase testosterone like in PCOS. And in the cases of insulin resistance, we see sometimes increases of testosterone and adult acne. So insulin can run havoc. And the same with cortisol as well. When we're stressed, we're not going to have so much of our sex hormones, estrogen and testosterone. So in the keto aspect, we're getting control of insulin. With my alkaline or green, what I call my keto green way, you know, using more alkalinizers, having a more environmentally sound and safe life, right? And practices of meditation. So lifestyle and diet factors really help with that alkaline factor and that helps with cortisol balance. And so controlling those two, that helps our reproductive hormones stay balanced. With intermittent fasting, we want to work into it, especially in the perimenopause and menopause when our hormones are wildly fluctuating. So I always caution, as you guys do too, like don't just stop and eat one meal a day, right? Let's work up on it. Really, for us, especially empower your detoxification pathways. So the greens, the alkalinizers, the nutrients and minerals that we need. And I put a lot of recipes in my books, herbs and you know spices that we can use. Oh my gosh, that can really help us with hormonal balance and, you know, overall immune immune support, right? So that's key. So we work into it. And I really have clients start just even with small, you know, like what's the next right step? And it's like, you can try to get dinner in by 5 or 6 p.m. in the evening and keep Stepwise, let's go for 12 and a half hours between dinner and breakfast, work up to 15. And that's typically a window that most of my clients will do. Some will extend that window, but most of them feel really comfortable in the 13 to 15 hour window, some more, some less. And I always recommend periodic extended fasting too, because that's, you know, traditional wisdom has incorporated fasting into cultures, into religions. And I think there's a good reason for that. So when you when you encourage the um, periodic extended fasting for your patients, how how long are you talking? Like what what kind of period do you encourage? It can vary, but anywhere from one to three days. So you know I have this rule because I'm a, a true glutton at heart. So I love to eat, love to have good celebrations. So I have this rule: like if we think of you know our life and we think in a I have my 10, 80, 10 rule. So 10% fasting, 80% keto green, and 10% feasting, right? There's like that celebration that enables metabolic flexibility. You've got both. And then the, you know, 80% keto green, that's your, you know, that's your daily intermittent fast with your healthy nutrients to support your body. And that works really, really well. 
in having, you know, really high quality of life. I loved hearing that philosophy of the the 10 80 10. I think that's perfect. And I also was really happy to hear that when you when you're talking extended fasting, you're talking 1 to 3 days because that falls in line with, you know, I've got several Facebook support groups and you know, intermittent fasting tends to be something that you know, leads people to want to do more and then the extended fasting, people think that well, more is better and then they'll want to do like, you know, days and days and days and days. And, you know, we're, we try to encourage people to not do that, you know, and I, I I tend to think that 72 hours is a great max for that myself. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah. And too, like, what are we dealing with health-wise, right? When are we called to do those extended fasts? Sometimes because of significant health issues and, you know, truly push autophagy. Those, I think, definitely need to be done with physician guidance and good support. I completely agree. And we actually don't allow anybody in our Facebook groups to talk about fasts beyond that. We always encourage that they have medical supervision because it's important. You don't want to just go rogue and start fasting, you know. <laughs> we do not promote that, right? So anyway, I wanted to get that in there. So thank you. And I will say just reading your book, it was definitely, I loved how it was laid out. It was so, you did a really good job of going through all of the hormonal issues and how to address them. But then also, like you said, with the recipes, providing a very easy to follow implementable plan with like food lists and recipes. So I think listeners are going to find it to be a valuable resource for actually realistically implementing these changes into their lifestyle. Why do you think, I just guess to go back just a little bit, why do you think all so many women are facing hormonal issues today in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really think it's, there's a lot of history to that, to the answer is that, you know, in the 80s, when I was in, in high school and in college, the low fat movement was paramount, right? We were encouraged to eat low fat and high carbs in our diet. And hormones are derived from fats. Cholesterol is not a bad thing. We need healthy levels of cholesterol. Like you were talking about heavy metal toxicity, right? Our cholesterol will shoot up if it has to protect the brain from heavy metal. So we'll see high cholesterol in people with heavy metal toxicity. We have to understand, and we see high cholesterol in people with hypothyroid disorder. So cholesterol is necessary for our hormones. It's part of the building blocks to our hormones. So it's really important to look at if we're dealing with something like high cholesterol, we also ask, why is it high, right? And I think so part of the, the low fat, you know, the low fat movement was detrimental to our hormones and we're still recovering from it. I know from coaching now thousands, thousands of women online is that so many times they're fearful of adding the fats back in. Do you mean I can, you know, do you mean I can have butter? I usually say ghee to get out the milk proteins, but, you know, or I can have oils and, and they're not worried, not like low fat dressing. I'm like, please, please don't eat low fat dressing and, you know, use healthy oils and, you know, choosing the right foods and makes a really big difference. Not being afraid of, of fats because, the will, you know, we've seen a decline in in willpower, cravings on the rise, right? And that's I, I fat load my clients to get rid of those cravings. And that's really important because we can make better choices when we don't have cravings, when our physiology is not driving us down an unhealthy route or cravings or so that's part of it. And then just the fear of hormones in general that we've had with the Women's Health Initiative study and 
confusion around uh, around hormones. I, I'm an advocate of a, a little bit goes a long way when it comes to bioidentical hormones, but the only hormone choice is bioidentical hormones. So I talk about that a little bit in my book as well. And then just the the stress is a huge factor now, and stress drives us into hormonal disarray. And I want people to understand how that stress impacts our choices, how that impacts our body's natural hormonal balance, because it can drive us to stop doing and being with the things we have loved. So in one of the chapters in the book, I talk about the stress cortisol and oxytocin connection and how important it is to be aware of that because if we if we know physiology is driving our behavior and when we're not balanced we're going to be more agitated or disconnected or feeling lonely or depressed then we can choose the right behaviors and lifestyle that will then empower our physiology it works both ways so it's a very empowering philosophy. It's a very empowering time in our lives to be able to say, okay, I can take control of my own health. About the cortisol, I loved in your book that you had the really nuanced perspective of cortisol as well, because I think all of us automatically think cortisol is like a bad thing, but you talked about how it actually has beneficial effects. It's just the problem is more about getting dysregulated and you know producing the wrong mounts at the wrong time. So yeah, I just wanted to throw in that caveat as well and have that be a part of the discussion. Yeah, because it's an important perspective. It's a life-saving hormone. So we never want to do anything that completely blocks cortisol, right? That is necessary for life. And it's important. And I always say, you know, jokingly, somehow, if we didn't have any stress, we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning, right? So there's a healthy balance that we need to. But sadly... It's not just actual stress, it's perceived stress that can drive our hormones into disarray as well. So I think as you asked, some of the strategies that I had to put in place into my life were, were actually numerous. Certainly, it's just reframing my thoughts to the positive and the more, you know, positive and what I can appreciate in life. And to re, and that, that certainly was a practice and a discipline I had to learn after my traumas. And so to refocus, and now, you know, like we know this is not soft science anymore, right? We just say, oh, that's woohoo, you know, your thoughts, et cetera. So much powerful science. And that increases oxytocin. The practice of appreciation, the practice of gratitude meditation, increases oxytocin. Deep breathing decreases cortisol, can increase oxytocin. So those are some strategies that easily that we can put forth. And, and in my book, I talk about creating your morning rituals, creating your evening rituals so that they power you up for the day and they settle you down for night because we need that. We need that good night's sleep. And we're hearing more, which is so exciting, you know, that the emphasis on sleep, restorative sleep, but I cannot emphasize that enough. So that's powerful. But so many of us, when we're in this hormonal shift, we lay awake 3 or 4 a.m., ruminating, thoughts racing, you know, tossing and turning, covers on, covers off, hot and cold. (laughs) And it's not exactly a restful time, but getting that, and, and I talk some strategies in my book, but getting that restful sleep is powerful. Yeah, I think that's important. I love that you have such a comprehensive, you know, whole picture approach. You know, it's not just the diet. It's not just the hormones. It's not just any one thing. It's really the whole lifestyle to encourage wonderful changes. But they all work together to bring the hormones back to balance. 
you know, all those strategies that you mentioned, Dr. Anna, that sound, you know, woo-woo if we think back to traditional medicine, like here's a pill for you to take, right? But really, the mind is so powerful. And and reframing your thoughts to the positive, that sounds like such a little thing, but it's really huge. It is. It absolutely is. Even with me and, and like the concept of stress, I feel like I used to see stress completely beneficial. Like I just interpreted it that way. And I would say that I thrived on stress and I didn't really feel as many negative ramifications when I saw it that way. And then when I started perceiving stress as a problem, it is a problem. But when I started seeing it as a problem all the time, I think it became more chronic for me. And just that mindset shift was was huge. It reminds me of, have you read Kelly McGonigal's The Upside of Stress? Yes. I just love the idea that stress can be, you know, it can be a problem, it can be chronic, or it can be something, like you said, that gets you up in the morning. And it's just a matter of finding that healthy balance that supports the body overall. I agree. One of the things that we talk about, you know, is like we can have post-traumatic stress or we can have post-traumatic growth, right? Just shifting our concept of, okay, well, you know, how do I grow from this? And what are the strategies and practices and disciplines that will continue to feed prosperity and resilience and good relationships, right? Because it comes down to that juiciness in our lives, that love and connection in our lives. How do we get that post-traumatic growth? And then I I joke and I always say, well, and then there's post-menopausal growth. We definitely want post-menopausal growth, but not in the lateral sense, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. We want it to be emotional growth, right? (laughs) Yeah. Everything else, (laughs) not physical. Hey, y'all, Jen here. Yes, I finally got a Juve. I got the Juve Go, which is their newest, smallest, and most portable unit. As a woman who is about to turn 50 later this year, I was most interested in the skin-firming benefits. Red light therapy has been shown to reduce and counteract signs of aging in the skin, including boosting collagen, smoothing wrinkles, and enhancing skin tone. Even though I've only been using my new Juve for a short time, I can see a difference in my face and particularly my neck area. Intermittent fasting has many anti-aging benefits, and along with my Juve, I plan to go into my 50s and beyond with a youthful appearance to match how great I feel. Are you ready to get yourself a Juve? Go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the code ifpodcast for a free gift from Juve. That code again is ifpodcast at juve.com slash ifpodcast. There was a really good question that relates to all of what we're talking about right now. So we got a question from Michelle. So she wrote to us a while ago and she said, Hi, Jen and Melanie. I love your podcast. She said she had a question involving pain, hormones, and fat burning stalls. She said she currently weighed 128 pounds and was 5'4 and was doing IF for about four months, basically 16-8 in the occasional 24 to 48 hour fast. And she's also experimented with paleo and many other diets and does best when she cuts out sugar and the sweet taste. And she says most people would look at her and not think that she's overweight, but a recent DEXA scan revealed she's actually 36.4% body fat, up from 33.2 about 21 months ago. So she said, first of all, she wanted to know, and she's also been working out with a personal trainer for five months. She said, could my cortisol and insulin be high 
and keeping me from burning more fat. So that's one little topic we've been talking about. Also, she's dealing with some pain issues now that she's growing older, which she's trying to address naturally with white willow bark and anti-inflammatories like turmeric and ginger tea. But she has these dreams of getting down to lower body fat. And what she says that this is what made me think of it. She says, are my physical challenges making this window close or is there any hope at all for, I guess, addressing our hormones and getting down to a lower body fat? I think that is a question that we get from listeners and is on a lot of listeners' minds is the idea of, is it ever too late? Because you were talking about, you know, post-traumatic growth and actually, you know, growing and healing and getting better, even at different hormonal stages and even later in life. So how do you feel, Dr. Anna, about, so I guess there's two questions in there, specifically with Michelle's question about the hormones related to her inability to burn fat, but also can our bodies always heal? Is there like a certain timeline that we have to jump on? Or is it always possible to revitalize our hormones and make positive changes? I love this question. And I thank you for sharing it with me. You know, there is always opportunity for improvement. There is always opportunity to reverse disease processes. If we have like, I always tell clients, you can be in better health tomorrow than you are today, without a doubt, without a doubt. It's just a matter of doing our detective work and strategizing to recognize what practices are working for us and what's working against us. So first thing I tell my clients is that, you know, one reason, according to research, 99% of diets fail, right? That's a, that's a huge number. 99% of diets fail. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you, because it's not all about the food we eat, Right. It's not all about the food we eat. We know that. You know that. It's like when, where, how, what's the mindset, what's the food. All of that can affect us. Are we getting outside? Are we under stress, right? All of those things can affect us. So a very easy way that I found to decipher and help clients hormonally balance is the green concept that I combine with my keto green. Because this is essential for hormone balance. It's essential to keep our cortisol in check. And we know, and I have clients check urinary pH. I'm not talking about like alkalinizing blood pH. It's already alkaline. It's fine. It's stable. But urinary pH will fluctuate just like the number on a scale will fluctuate or, you know, our temperature will fluctuate on a daily basis throughout the day. So our urinary pH will fluctuate. And so as a marker for are we doing everything we need to do? Are we getting the nutrients that we need? Are we in balance with what our body's demanding from us? We need to figure that out. So I say test, don't guess. And one easy, inexpensive marker is the urinary pH. Then, of course, I've listed a whole chapter of other testing that we can get into from the functional medicine perspective, hormones and otherwise. But this is an easy thing we can do so that when, like, in looking at this client who's struggling with the percent body fat is like, okay, well, that's a three-month window. You know, let's look again in three months, but start checking your urinary pH. Let's look. Let's test now because if you're doing everything right, then we've got to do more detective work. What are your hormone levels? What's your thyroid, TSH, free T4, free T3, thyroid antibodies? What else could be going on? Is there yeast that we're battling, candida? When we have to dig deeper to see, okay, well, what's, you know, what piece of the puzzle do we need to figure out? Heavy metals, for instance, we're not going to reduce fat if we have heavy metal toxins because fat is there to protect us from these free radical 
the free radical attack of heavy metals. That's where I would look. I would look at what's creating the blockage and then how can we support so we can continue to release the excess fat. I love that you talked about the the nature of this is not an easy puzzle to solve, you know, just necessarily because our listeners, our people, you know, in the Facebook groups that are struggling want there to be just, you know, tell me what to do. Please just tell me what to do. You know, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight and I'm having trouble even with the intermittent fasting. What do I do? And you just really hit on the point that there's not just one thing to do because our bodies are so complicated. It could be a myriad of things preventing the body from releasing the fat. Yes. And that's where having a trained health professional like you that knows what to look for, knows what tests, and I, I really wish that every every listener, every person struggling had someone like you they could go to that could help them figure it out because that that's really, you know, that's what's so frustrating for so many people. You, you know, 99% of diets fail because they're not addressing the underlying problem. But the people, you know, don't know what their underlying problem is. And that, that's really the frustration. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, it's not just, it's not just a meal plan, right? There's stress, there's toxins. And of course, as a gynecologist, whole chapter on vaginal and sexual health, got to put that in there because that's so important. And it's like teasing through like what I want for my clients, what I want for individuals is to experience an amazing quality of life. You know, it's, it's said that, okay, we have a certain number of days that we're going to live. Let's live them with the utmost quality. And when you asked about like, when's too old, right? I never say we're too old. And I'll give you the story about my father, if you'd like. Oh, yes, please do. Yes, we would love that. So I, I briefly allude to it in my book, but it, my dad was 79. He was coming to visit. My mom passed away at 67. I was in my early 30s. I was, I think, 30 when she passed away. And she had heart disease and diabetes. And so, you know, in life and death, my mom's taught me a lot. And so when my dad was 79, almost a decade later, he came to visit me from Pennsylvania, flew down here to St. Simons Island, Georgia, and he was struggling. He was irritable, cranky. He took the wheelchair in the airport because he could hardly walk and, and was just sitting. And that was not like my dad. My dad was a World War II veteran and, you know, an ambassador in the Middle East, a social, happy guy and smart as a whip. And so I said, Dad, you know, what's going on? He said, you know, I just don't feel good. And he was forgetful. I mean, that just wasn't my dad. And I said, you want me to call your doctors? And I known his doctors. And so I called his heart specialist because dad was struggling with diabetes, heart disease. I mean, he was really, was really struggling at this point. I think he was on eight medications. And I talked to his doctor and his doctor said, you know, Anna, your dad's 79. He's had a good life. So I was like, okay. And I was like, well, then do you mind if I, you know, interfere with his, his care a little bit here? And he's like, no, of course. And so I said, dad, would you allow me to take care of you? And first I said, dad, are you done living? <laughs> he's like, no, I'd like to see 80. I'm like, okay. So will you listen to me for 30 days? And he said, yes, Anna, I will. And so I put him, basically, I put him on a very alkalinizing plan, low carbohydrate. So essentially, an early version of my keto green plan that I have now. I took him off his beer, let me tell you, for 30 <laughs> days. That was probably hard, yeah. 
It was hard. I'm like, Dad, and he, he, but you know, he felt so bad. And he, you know, for me, one of the worst things is when, you know, that forgetfulness, right? When I wasn't well and I had forgetfulness, that like losing your, that capacity when you rely, when we rely on that, that's fearful, especially when you look at so many people with dementia, et cetera, all around us. So, Dad was like, yep, I'm in. And so in 30 days, guys, in 30 days, he went down from 120 units of insulin a day to 30. 120, this is over a decade again. We didn't talk about this stuff. And so he went down from 130 insulins a day, uh, units of insulin a day to 20 units of insulin a day, lost 30 pounds, was out on my, from being pushed in a wheelchair, was out on my tennis court playing with the kids and just having a blast. You know, he was back to his own self. And let me tell you, he lived another high quality 12 years and passed away at 91. Oh, I love that story. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you didn't give up at 79 and say, oh, he's 79. That, that's enough. Right. So many people give up. So many people give up. And I don't want anyone to give up. I'm so glad also that you brought up again your keto green diet. And that's something that I really, really loved about your book because ketosis is, I mean, it's ironic because on the one hand, we've been doing it as a species. We've gone into bouts of ketosis, you know, historically just naturally. But I feel like more recently it's become the thing and everybody is wanting to do ketogenic diets and it's very popular. But I do think there is a huge aspect often missing from it with like the greens and the alkalinity. And I mean, I used to be a little bit skeptical of the whole acid alkaline aspect of, especially from a dietary approach. But the more and more I've researched and the more I've personally experimented with different forms of ketogenic diets for me, I think the acid alkaline connection is absolutely huge. So I'm so happy with your keto green diet that you really, really address that in detail. I'd love to ask you some questions about that and get some more details about that if you'd like to discuss it. Yeah. And I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. That aspect is really huge. Yeah, I was really excited when I started reading your book. I was like, yes, this is speaking to something I'm so really recently really interested in and I think is really, really important. So I guess, first of all, so like the ketogenic diet in general, would you agree that the ketogenic diet is a natural state to be in or because oftentimes we get questions and fears and concerns that ketosis is not natural and that it's stressful to the body and something we should not be purposely undertaking. So how do you, how do you feel about that just to start? You know, I think we should do it more than we do, right? Because like, I think we don't have, first of all, we don't have studies long-term ketosis in a healthy way in women, let alone, you know, men. So that's one aspect we have, like you had mentioned culturally through the centuries and millennia had fasting. The Greek Orthodox church has over 250 days of fasting per year, right? I mean, there's 250 in that culture. So from, uh, you know, Catholics on Sunday not to eat after church till after church or after communion, extended fast built in, no no meats on Wednesday and Friday, right? So there are cultures that have built this in. Is that for spirit, I mean, because when we get into the state of ketosis, when I say when we get keto green, when we get both that healthy, you know, urinary pH balance, evidence of alkalinity in our urinary pH and in ketosis at the same time, I call that energized enlightenment. There's an absolute spiritual growth that's available here. There's a higher connection 
we are energetic bodies. We are energetic molecules. What increases our energy and certainly ketosis, fats a better fuel source than glucose. So a more efficient fuel source than glucose. So I think like, you know, for me, it's intermittent ketosis. <laughs> and I, I laugh because I'm like, I wish I could be in it longer, but I am that glutton for sure. You know, that I get, I continue. It's easy. And, and I think at, at my age too, just to bump out of ketosis, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much ladies. I'm sorry, but and it's a muscle we just have to keep exercising. You know, getting into the ketosis is a muscle we have to keep exercising. And trust me, it gets easier and easier. But definitely getting, I, we were evolved. And I, I would say too, there's a variety of people among us with a variety of genetic predispositions and, and some more inclined and easier to accommodate ketosis, states of ketosis long-term and others not. But that's part of the beautiful bio-individuality or bio-uniqueness that we each have and discovering what works best for us, not what we want to work for us, but what really works best for us is, is part of this, this beautiful process. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. That's key. I love that you talked about us being energetic bodies and that the state of ketosis gets us in line with that that spiritual feeling. We hear that a lot from people that have been doing intermittent fasting, that they they shift in so many ways, not just, you know, quote, their diet. It's not just, you know, the losing weight, but they change spiritually, emotionally, mentally. They become different people. Yeah. And hopefully the better versions of ourselves, right? If we're doing it right, if we're keto green, because if we're not, this is what I call it. Like when I first started at 48, trying to go, you know, to, to stop that rapid weight gain that I was experiencing and I was going into the ketogenic low carbohydrate, but I wasn't checking. I had forgotten about checking my urinary pH and I would get what I called keto crazy, irritable, edgy, you know, and, and, so many of my clients experienced the same thing, didn't like how they felt on a ketogenic diet, felt irritable and just, or hit a wall with it, you know, just stalled out. And so when that happened to me, I was like, okay, well, what's going on? And I started, you know, instinctively checking my urinary pH and I was, my urinary pH was consistently acidic, a pH of five. And again, it doesn't matter how good we think we're eating, we need to test, not guess. And that was a big aha moment for me. And research also shows a urinary pH, acidic urinary pH is associated with inflammation, associated with metabolic syndrome, hypertension, diabetes, and the list goes on. So, okay, with that in hand, I just started increasing my low-carbohydrate greens, so kales and beet greens and chard and dandelion and parsley, and really increasing that in my diet. Till my urinary pH started testing alkaline. Also, it's not just what we eat. So going for a walk on the beach, getting out in the sun, doing some mindfulness practice, all of those to decrease cortisol, improve my stress hormone, and use what nature gives us. We get more than vitamin D from the sun to incorporate those things. And so then my urinary pH started testing better, then pushed my body into ketosis. And that combination, that you know, keto alkaline or keto green combination was like eye opening for sure. And I felt, it felt I had clarity. And I also experienced something I hadn't experienced since my trauma. And that was the peace that surpasses all understanding. As it says in the Bible, it says you experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I got that for the first time in years. And that was life saving for me. 
Plus, I had the clarity, the brain fog had lifted, you know, my memory was back on point. And it just, you know, that energy that we get when we're in the state, but the combination is crucial. That's fabulous. I loved hearing that, the the peace that passes understanding. That really is a good way of explaining how it feels to be in ketosis. And I eat lots of carbs. I'm I'm a carb girl, but because of the the way that my eating window is structured, I do get into ketosis during the fast every day. So my body's metabolically flexible in that way and it really is a very peaceful feeling with the mental clarity. I agree. Now you've really inspired me to start testing my urine to see to see what it is. I'm so curious. Do you just use regular pH strips that you know my husband is a chemistry professor, so could I just have him bring home some pH strips and test them myself? Absolutely. Just regular pH paper. That's, you know, the nitrate paper. That is perfect. So pH paper, you can get that anywhere. And I'll also send you, I'm going to send you some pH strips that also have ketones on it. Cause like, I know I just needed to make it easy for myself. Right. So I have some of those. So I'll send you some too. Well, I'm going to start testing because I, <laughs> I want to see what it, what it says. I do eat a lot of greens, so that's good. And I do know, because I have gone on so many rabbit hole tangents researching the acid alkaline connection. And, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, urinary pH isn't really an indicator of your body's alkalinity. Or people will say that diet doesn't affect your body's acidity or alkalinity because it's so tightly regulated by the body. And, quote, the body would never let the body become too acidic. You know, it does whatever it can to maintain that. But if you think about it, if you're eating a diet that is naturally acidic, regardless of how hard your body has to work to respond to that to keep you alkaline or acidic, I mean, if you're setting yourself up with a very acidic diet, your body's going to have to tax itself and tax its resources to maintain any sense of alkalinity, you know? So it's like, it's like, well, yes, maybe your body can fight that acidity, but it's going to have to pull those minerals those alkalizing minerals from somewhere, you know, it's going to have to make changes. It's not going to be easy for it. That's going to, that's going to be a very stressful process. I, I imagine this is just me. I'm not a doctor, but this is just me researching and what makes sense to me. Whereas if you're eating, you know, an alkaline diet, providing all of those alkalizing minerals, those nutrients, I mean, it just makes sense that it would naturally put the body into a more, you know, freer, alkaline, less stressed state by supporting that. So I've definitely, I've definitely come to the conclusion for me personally that it's a huge factor and so important. And, and also I was just thinking about this, Jen, because we get so many questions from listeners about people struggling with either ketosis or they're trying to do a ketogenic diet and struggling. And, you know, we'll often say, you know, maybe you just need more carbs, maybe the keto diet just isn't for you. But this alkalinity could also be a factor where we're going to have to start. Um, we're going to have to start mentioning this as another as another possibility that maybe they can try a specifically alkaline keto diet. We'll have to refer them to this episode <laughs> and to your book, Dr. Anna. Yes. Awesome. Exactly right. Everything you said. And that's why we see osteoporosis in these, right? We're not going to shift the blood pH, but we're going to rob Peter to pay Paul, essentially, right? We're taxing other resources in order to maintain the blood pH. So if we can use something like urinary pH as an indicator of, okay, is this working? Is this not working? That's just easy. It makes sense. And have you seen the workings of the work that Wim Hof has done, Dr. Anna? Yes, I've seen some of his stuff. 
And his breath work and his meditation techniques have been shown to actually change the blood alkalinity temporarily, which is fascinating. That's amazing. And that's so, and that is that's through breathing and mindset. And it's been verified in studies. So that just shows the potential that we have for changing the whole chemistry of our body through our diet, our thoughts, and our mind our mindset, our breathing, everything. It's all connected. So we do have a lot of listener questions as well that I'd love to tackle. Um, Jen, did you want to bring up something? The question that we always hear about is the the whole idea that women are somehow too hormonally delicate to do intermittent fasting. There's a whole prevailing mindset out there that women, quote, shouldn't do intermittent fasting or that it actually disrupts our hormones. And of course, Melanie and I do not believe that, but we hear it a lot. You know, there, there's just that train of thought out there. And we would love to have you speak to that. For example, Jennifer, she says, it seems that IF may not affect women and men in the same way and that women do not see as many benefits as men. In particular, she said she was concerned about the negative effects on reproduction in women. And then also Karina said her question was, is there a wrong way to do intermittent fasting for women? Because she saw like a picture on Pinterest saying that women shouldn't fast, you know, longer than 16 hours and shouldn't do different types of fasting because it would affect the hormones in a negative way. So we definitely get, and that's just two questions. We probably have like 50 asking this. I hear that too. And the one thing that's where we start, you know, I've, I've run thousands of women through my online programs and we start with getting urinary pH alkaline first. And also for, if, especially if we're going through hormonal transition like menopause, I like us to break fast by 10 a.m. And so like, again, with this intermittent fast, let's start to an area that we can, you know, get comfortable with and then exercise that muscle by extending the fast. But first and foremost, let's get your body into a more harmonized state. Let's give your body what it needs. Let's look at things that are keeping you from having hormonal balance that's in your you know, nutrition and lifestyle. What are things there that are interrupting? So no, I don't think that intermittent fasting, and again, you know, like the duration of intermittent fasting, so and certainly not a 15-hour fast, I think that's beneficial and not harmful. And especially, you know, again, looking if you're eating at 8 or 9 p.m. and that's your meal, we know that if we eat after 7 p.m., we excrete 70% more insulin than we would at 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. So that's going to make you more weight loss resistant. That's going to put all that glucose, that, you know, that energy into storage mode. And you're not going to get the benefit of the intermittent fast at that point or the significant benefits that we could get otherwise. So I, again, I try to work with clients to get them to eat earlier, 5 or 6 p.m., whenever possible, and, you know, make dinner a lighter meal so we're not digesting and working hard overnight instead of resting, restoring, regenerating, and break fast by by 10 a.m. or whatever feels good to you, but, like, don't push it past 10 until you are feeling good with it. And then again, to discern what is working for you. We can hear about what works, what doesn't work for so many other people, depending on how they're doing it. But let's get to what is working for each individual. Yeah, I think that's really important. For intermittent fasting to work long term, it has to feel like a lifestyle. So people have to figure out how to how to fit it in to their life. You know, for me, I don't open my window most days until after 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. You know, I fast until then, but I didn't just start doing it, you know, recently. I've been doing this since 2014. And this is this is what feels right to my body. 
we don't think that people should start right off, you know, waiting till 3 p.m., 4 p.m. to open their eating windows. Yeah. You know, from day one. Yeah, I as well have a much later eating window, but I do think that just works for me and my personal circadian rhythm. And it's what my body is really like has naturally come to. But I think especially for people starting and trying to find what works for them, that that could definitely be a like a wonderful approach to try that earlier eating window, that longer eating window and, you know, working from there to find what best works for them. Yeah. And also just to, you know, again, figure out what, what makes them feel better. So if they've been doing their breaking fast later in the day or later in the evening and hitting a wall or not getting the results they want or feeling hormonally imbalanced or, you know, noting, you know, more rapid aging or anything like that, then let's bump that up. Let's, those are definite signs. We need to bump that up. We need to shift that. And the other thing too is one thing that I tell clients is in that window that we're eating, it's it's no snacking. We have to keep at least four to five hours between meals. And so maybe if they're if they're if even if they have a six hour window and they are eating every hour on the hour, that's going to create some insulin resistance. So here you're going insulin sensitive to creating, okay, here's constant, you know, glucose coming into my system or constant energy coming into my system, maybe that's interfering with it. So for my clients, I, I have them no snacking. <laughs> we, we don't snack in my program. So I try to just break people from that habit. But again, you know, we're, I'm working, I'm working to really dial in and balance those hormones and decrease problems that have been maybe pre-existing for decades, inflammation, aches and pains, hair loss, weight loss resistance, hot flashes, mood swings, all of those issues and to bring those into, you know, get rid of those symptoms. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point that if someone has a later eating window and it's not working and they feel like it's, it's hormonally detrimental, shift it lower, try that earlier in the day. I think that's a great suggestion. And then we also get a lot of questions from listeners who will start some sort of fasting and they will see changes in their menstrual cycles, for example. And they're often worried that that may be a bad thing. They're not sure. For example, Sarah says that she started an intermittent fasting period. She, no, well, no pun intended. She started an intermittent fasting window and her period started getting lighter she had it one month when it was really light, but then it seemed to get become heavy again. And she said she was wondering if we knew anything about whether or not fasting can relate to menstrual flow or if it was insulin or the amount of fat on the body or a nutrient deficiency, just what was going on there. Madison also said that intermittent fasting affected her cycle, which was typically really regular. And then it came early. She's, she wondered if she should be worried and is intermittent fasting affecting her hormones? She says, I know my body may be just adjusting, but are there any warning signs I should look out for that my body could be signaling it's in distress? We get that question just a lot. If ladies start intermittent fasting or even really any of these dietary changes, and it does affect their cycle. You know, maybe it's early, maybe it's late, maybe it's missed, maybe it's heavier, lighter. Is that okay in the beginning? Like when should we as women become worried about it? How would we address it? So what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, no, those are great questions. And like with Sarah, whose periods were getting lighter, and the question was, is is there just an added stress on her body? Is it nutrient deficiency? You know, what else is going on? Yes, it could be any of those things. And that's why we have to test, not guess. You know, again, just start with urinary pH testing. Let's just make sure that we're alkaline and we're not robbing our body of minerals to maintain our blood pH or that we're not stressed and that's affecting us, affecting our estrogen and testosterone productions. If we're not having enough estrogen from stress or from lack of nutrients or from, you know, you know, ovarian or adrenal issues, then we're going to have lighter periods also. So that's one thing. And the same with Madison's question, you know, certainly that that shift in, in menstrual cycle, we can see that initially. So we want to know that it's a healthy shift versus an unhealthy shift. And how do we figure that out? We just have to see over time, two to three months. But if anything out of the ordinary, as a gynecologist, I recommend you go see a gynecologist. What I see in my perimenopausal and menopausal clients is sometimes, especially if it's been, we may see the reinitiation of periods. We may reverse menopause, you know, kick people out of menopause sometimes early on and start having periods again. And that's okay too. We, you know, that's good. That's anti-aging at its finest, right? But still always see a gynecologist because any irregular vaginal bleeding should be worked up by the pelvic ultrasound and by a physician. So I encourage that. But yes, these we can see these fluctuations. Also consider the source of, are we eating, you know, with going in this intermittent fasting, are we eating excess hormones? If we're doing a keto, for instance, or, you know, playing with carnivore keto, which I don't think works for women very well, but that concept of, okay, we're getting extra hormones from the meats we're eating. And again, you know, what we're eating in that window, that feeding window, you know, what is it? Could that be affecting our cycles as well? And of course, stress is a big factor, physical and emotional. It's so funny. I've recently been doing so much research on the stress hormones in animals and how that may or may not materialize in when we eat the meat from those animals. So the importance of finding like pastures, humanely raised animals for, you know, grass-fed meats and things like that. That's just a tangent, but (laughs) I was researching that extensively yesterday, actually. Yeah, important stuff. So many little factors we don't even think about. So I love your your comprehensive picture of everything. I think so, too. And just having people check with their doctor if they're not sure. Of course, the hard part is, you know, we're seeing more and more people coming to intermittent fasting because their doctor's like you, understand the benefits. But then we still have people who, you know, they go to their doctor and their doctor is like, you know, don't do that (laughs) because the doctor may not understand the latest research and how beneficial intermittent fasting actually is. And so take them my book. (laughs) I love it. Get a copy of this book ASAP, especially we didn't have time really to get into the specific testing that you recommended, but you do have a very thorough section and you really address that really well about what to, you know, not, you know, testing, not guessing and what to look for. So for listeners, I wish we could talk for you know a few more hours, Dr. Anna, but for listeners, definitely pick up a copy of the Hormone Fix ASAP. Like I said, it's out tomorrow on February 26th. And I think it'll be a valuable resource, especially if you are working with a practitioner and want to have a source that you can refer them to and what tests you might want to take and how you can 
you know, really, really get to the root cause of what's causing your, your hormonal issues. And then also the wonderful dietary approach that you can follow to hopefully get everything on the up and up. And like you said, it's never too late. I think this is going to be the missing link for a lot of the women that are struggling because, you know, intermittent fasting is a piece of the puzzle without a doubt. And it may be the only change that some people need, but in our complex, you know, landscape right now of of health problems, people have so many issues that they need to address. And your book really helps outline how people can get to the root cause of what is going on. Thank you. That was the intention. It's like that's, uh, you know, as a Nancy Drew fan growing up, I'm like, got to put our detective hats on. (laughs) Oh, me? Like every single book. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. And it's not just, you know, an easy do this right here exact thing and you'll be fine. It's it's a lot more complicated than that. And, And I think that your book does a good job of explaining the complexities. Thank you. Yeah, so for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 97, I will put links in there to well to Dr. Anna's book so you can get a copy of that ASAP. Will it be available? I mean, I know it's on Amazon and bookstores as well. Yeah, ask your local bookstores. Definitely encourage that to get it, but it is Barnes & Noble, Amazon, everywhere. And that link for our book page, there's a, a lot of bonuses that go with that too. So some extra great downloads and recipes and and some guides that are helpful too on the book bonus page. Awesome. So I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Where else can listeners check out for your work? Your website? Are you on social media or anything like that? Yes. Yeah. And um, my website is dranna.com. So very easy, dranna.com, D-R-A-N-N-A.com. And then, you know, Dr. Anna C on Facebook and Dr. Anna Quebec at Instagram. So I love checking in with people there. So definitely if you've got the book, hashtag the hormone fix and, and hashtag Dr. Anna, and I will check you guys out and answer questions as they come up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this interview and being so available. And this conversation has just been wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. Likewise, I've enjoyed it so much with you guys. Thank you. No, of course. All right. A few things for listeners before we go. Like I said, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 97, that's where we will have the links to everything that we discussed. So definitely check out that link. If you want to listen to our podcast weekly, you can listen to our podcast directly on our website. You can also download the Himalaya app. We are a Himalaya network affiliated show. And if you download that app, which is amazing for listening to all of your podcasts in one place, you can actually listen to our podcast 24 hours early, which is super duper awesome. They're also on iTunes as well. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can do that at our website. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast and you can follow us on Twitter. We are the ifpod. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And thank you again, Dr. Anna, for coming on our podcast. And we wish you the best with your book release tomorrow <laughs> when this airs. So congratulations in advance. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.